Women's Playbook. We broadcast at noon, live, every Thursday from New York City from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, and we connect and inform women entrepreneurs. Across the U.S., indeed, worldwide, women entrepreneurs today are launching and growing businesses faster than male-owned enterprises, as you'll hear in detail in just a few minutes from my guests this week, Camille Hugh, a young and already serial entrepreneur, and Bruce Backenheimer, who directs the Entrepreneurship Lab at Pace University here in New York City. This rise of women entrepreneurs is a key reason for my focus on the Women's Playbook every week. I look into market advice and ideas with a female focus to help women owners grow their companies with passion and purpose and, of course, profits. Don't forget the profit. In addition, along with my expert guests every week, I spotlight best practices and news in the expanding she economy. That is the ways markets around the world are changing and growing because of women's increased engagements as revenue generators, as consumers, as investors, a lot of impact. My name is Joanna Croats. The Women's Playbook has grown out of my reporting and writing about women's leadership and small business owners as a print and online journalist, a featured columnist at MSN, and a national magazine editor at a small business, business magazine at Time, Inc., I run my own firm, a boutique custom content business, which means I live and work, and I worry, over the similar challenges as my guests and my listeners. You can learn about the show and what's coming up at my Facebook page, The Women's Playbook with Joanna L. Croats, or at my Twitter page, at Joanna L. Croats. You can also download podcasts of my shows on iTunes as of this week. And you'll find updates, sponsorship info, and more podcasts on my website, the same ones in a different form, on my website, Women's Playbook, womansplaybook.com. If you've got suggestions or you'd like to be a guest, please email me. The email address is info at womansplaybook.com, or of course, send me a tweet. I'd love to respond. This week, as I mentioned, I'm looking into why and how women are increasingly sidestepping or opting out of climbing the ladders at big companies and corporations. I just heard, actually, of a one young, of one young woman entrepreneur just a few days ago who we'll hear from, she'll be on the show in a few weeks, who was offered a, bu- a big deal job at a multinational cosmetics company. But she decided, and we know how hard it is to find jobs coming out of school for young people these days. But she decided to launch her own beauty business instead. And it's exactly that kind of decision and preference that I call leaning out. In other words, taking the risk to be your own boss rather than angling for the corner office. Let me just clarify. I'm certainly glad about the widespread popularity and media attention that's grown out of the lean-in phenomenon and the messages developed by COO at Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg. And let's be clear, her team of 140 contributors. She thanks nearly that many people in the acknowledgments of her book. And by the way, that includes her co-writer, Nell Scoville. Sandberg urges women to, quote, sit at the table, to step up to challenges and risk-taking, and to go after career goals with full-bore intensity. Definitely, absolutely, such messages are encouraging for women. Even better, they have sparked terrific and enlightening conversations about women's role in business, society, government, entrepreneurship, from coast to coast, and around the world. There's nothing wrong with that. What I don't buy into is the full-throated promise Sandberg seems to make, all but guaranteeing that if 
and when women move forward to brave the challenges of gender inequities on the job, of figuring out how to manage family or having babies or taking time to be with kids or dealing with male harassment on the job, as so many women have experienced. And, you know, if they just lean into the male bosses and managers and mentors who can open doors for them and promote their careers, then success will follow for those women, just as it did for Sandberg. I don't buy that. And I know lots and lots of women who are extremely successful who don't buy it either, so it's not just a matter of sour grapes. So why don't I buy it? Because despite all the rah-rah empowerment messages, all the pink-tinged cheerleading, the facts of the past half-century dramatically prove otherwise. Across the board, in staff and executive positions, women have been leaning in so hard, they're just about bent double. And they still earn less than their male peers. In fact, women with seniority in many fields often earn less than men who are hired after them and may even report to them. Even in the so-called girl service industries, where men have only recently made significant inroads, say nursing, men earn more, on average, than women peers. In addition, despite, despite all the studies that show having women in positions of corporate power tangibly boosts profits, proven as far back as the 1990s when Sally Hegelson published The Female Advantage, despite the fact that when women occupy corner offices and boardroom chairs, sales and revenue rises. Despite all that, here are the truly dismal numbers after decades of women leaning in. In 2013, only 4.2%, that is 22 women, are CEOs at Fortune 500 companies, 22 out of 500. Less than 17%, 16.9, are board members at those same Fortune 500 companies. And as the New York Times put it last week, when reporting those dreary board member numbers, the pace of change is, quote, glacial. So what's an ambitious, energetic, go-get-a-girl to do? Instead of leaning in and hoping somehow to beat the odds and secure recognition and career success, for my money, I say, start a business. I encourage women to lean out. Or, since I really understand that might be scary or not financially feasible, Join a company for a while to gain experience and credentials and know-how in a chosen field, but keep your mind on when it's the right time to lean out to achieve career satisfaction, work-life balance, and a purposeful role in business and society. For one thing, women who are launching today have the best possible experience in front of them, and they're in very good company. Women are starting businesses at twice the rate of men, up a whopping 54% over the past 15 years, numbering 8.3 million women-owned companies as of 2012. Of the 13% of all Americans now engaged in entrepreneurship, 7 out of 10 are women. Companies owned by women of color jumped an astonishing 55% since the late 90s. And immigrant and foreign-born women also are starting businesses faster than the national average. In 2010, the last numbers available one-fifth, that is 20% of all U.S. women business owners, were foreign-born. In fact, the Kaufman Foundation, with $2 billion in assets and a mission to advance entrepreneurial success worldwide, called the double aughts, that's 2000 to 2010, the double aughts, the decade of the entrepreneurial woman. Few understand or track this phenomenal growth as closely as my guests, Camille Hugh and Professor Bruce, Bruce Backenheimer, here on the show today. First, Camille, 
Let me tell you a bit about her. A serial entrepreneur under the age of 30 who already has more than seven years of experience running her own companies, Camille went back to school recently to earn an MBA in marketing management at Pace University, also Bruce's place of business. She owns and operates several businesses, seemingly simultaneously, we're going to have to check into this, including a realtor agency, a wedding event planning service, and a media outlet that publishes her fitness books and workout DVDs, including The Thigh Gap Hack, The Thigh Gap Hack, with her 60-minute workout dance exercise DVD about to be released, I believe, this month. You can find it at thighgaphack.com, that's T-H-I-G-H-G-A-P. H-A-C-K, thighgaphack.com. She's also working with a partner, Early Days, to develop the Interview Master, an e-commerce business for job seekers, which won recognition at the Pace Pitch Contest this year. I'm sure you're going to hear more about that from both of my guests, and she'll explain in detail. So welcome, Camille. Hi, thanks for having me, Joanna. It's really interesting that what you're doing. I, I, I'm just trying to figure out, are you distracted easily? Are you bored easily? <laughs> what, what's with all the businesses? Well, as my mom likes to say, I'm a Gemini, and so I do have a lot of different interests. And I believe what kind of started my uh, serial entrepreneurial kind of spirit is that I went into businesses that were seasonal. And so I had to learn quickly to do try something else while it was a slow period in my first company, which was real estate. And you're still running all these businesses simultaneously. I indeed am. How are you? How are you? How are you doing? Because I mean, just to, first of all, realtors have a lot of um, cold calling and pitching to do. There, you you have to find. It's not a business where you have loyal customers who keep coming back, right? You keep having to find new customers, new clients each time. Well, not in the rental industry, which oh, is I what see. I specialize in because turnover is so rapid in New York City. You always have someone looking to move or find a place. And so my landlords call me like clockwork every year when a lease is up. And what, what have you learned in doing so many different businesses? Are the, lesson, are the themes the same in terms of growing them, in terms of looking for customers, or is it really silo-based? With everything, I've, I've learned that there has to really be a market. Like the theme is that, is this something that people are looking for? Is this fulfilling a need? Um, otherwise, I definitely don't pursue it. And in terms of what I've been uh, fulminating about for the past five minutes or so, what do you think about being a woman in this space or why you didn't go out and, and look for a staff job somewhere? Because you, you never have had a staff position, have you? Or have I you? have. Well, oh, when okay. I first, While I was in school, I was working as a real estate agent. I was actually an appraiser <laughs> assistant and I um, got recruited into rentals. And so I f- thought that was a great way to earn money while going to school. And that was pretty much how it, it all started. Um, so I, I was working for a company. It was a small company at the time, and I grew. Uh, I went up the ranks very quickly because I was really good at what I did. Which is nice. <laughs> um, and the original question for me, I get Was um, whether there are themes to the businesses or, you know... Oh no! So and I'm sorry. Also, I was asking why you hadn't taken on a job at a big company or a staff position. I got my two questions confused. Okay. Well, so I I agree with what you said in your intro. Is that I believe that if you don't know anything about the particular field you want to go in, it's totally okay to get a job and learn. And then always in the back of my mind, I was thinking I have to get out of here because I've always wanted to work for myself. You know, I've never really wanted to 
be in the corporate world and having bosses and things of that nature. So I think it's just a personality thing for me. Okay, we're going to take a short break at this point, and we'll be back to talk to Camille and Professor Bruce Beckenheimer. This is the Women's Playbook. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Bonjour, this is Dominique de Coq. Bonjour, c'est Tamara Zuboff. Bonjour, c'est Asania Kone. We are hosting Pardon My French New York City. Our guests come from all over the world. From Mali to New Caledonia, from Paris to Quebec. French is a common language, yet they all come from different cultures, backgrounds or countries. And their common desire is to make New York their home. Listen to them share their stories. Join us at Pardon My French New York City every Monday from 1 to 2 p.m. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant. Helping conscious people be better business people. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. This is the Women's Playbook. We're back with Camille Hugh, the serial, the young serial entrepreneur, and also Professor Bruce Backenheimer from Pace University and the Entrepreneurship Lab there. I was just talking uh, over the break to Camille, and I have apparently a, didn't quite get my detail right about her wedding business, which is more about the accoutrement, the design for weddings, than about the wedding planning. Explain what you do exactly. So the company is Petal Happy, and we manufacture wedding alvaners made out of rose petals. They're fo fake rose petals that are affixed to fabric. So you can unravel it in one piece and basically walk down the aisle on a bed of rose petals, petals without any mess or fuss. So I'm, I I'm still getting my mind around this. The, the realtor business is all about service and clients. There's no product. It's all about the relationship you build. And this business is all about manufacturing and pricing And competitive pricing and finding, I mean, it's almost a B2B sell. It's, it's to the people who are planning the weddings in, in addition to the bride and groom as opposed to a direct consumer kind of client. So how, how, do, you, how do you get your mind and your arms? Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I've, I first started in real estate, and so I've been doing that the longest. And I have my landlords. I have my clients, my set clients, and I also have uh, real estate salespeople underneath me who 
do that. So I, I take a cut of all of the commissions, you know, that come through my office and I don't really deal with the day to day things. And with Pedal Happy, I have people again, it's more so delegation. Like I have people who make manufacture the aisle runners whenever an order comes in. So it doesn't require me to be there. I like to set up businesses that can run on its own, essentially. Almost as facilitator. Right. Yeah. So would you recommend to young women coming up that they do this kind of serial or simultaneous business? Because in my experience, I'm always told you have to focus, you have to focus, you have to focus, right? Yeah. And I, I actually thought there was something wrong with me at first because I have so many different interests and I was thinking maybe I, I might, do I need to focus on one thing just as you've said, but I just think it depends. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that someone go my route because I think you need to have, again, a certain personality to juggle so many things at once. And some people do better when they're just focused on one specific task and one thing. And the fitness business? Yep. Yeah. So we, we have one yet to cover. <laughs> That's correct. And, and this one is the one you're actually more engaged in as we speak, right? You That's work, correct. Yeah. How does that go? So that stemmed out of just my, again, another interest of mine, which is fitness, which started about like four or five years ago and came out a need. Again, I was looking for... A, a way to slim my thighs and I was looking online and I really couldn't find, I was getting a lot of conflicting advice. And so when I finally figured out something that worked for me, I knew there was a market and then I moved forward with it. And it was my, my biggest success thus far, for sure. How did I, you did go back to school to get an MBA. So how did that influence the way you're launching businesses? I know what happens, women tend often not always, to launch a business because they have some passion for something or because there's a, something in their life that comes up, for instance, your diet thing. I know there's a lot of ballyhoo going on lately about Jessica Alba, who's a celebrity who just launched, a movie star just launched a business because she couldn't find the proper diaper for her baby. Right. Like, woo. <laughs> so there's a lot of that going on. And the MBA, did it make you focus on the financials? Did it give you more of a strategy um, sense of to focus on the strategy? How did, how did that influence? I went back to school specifically to apply everything that I was learning to my businesses, which is most, I think most people when they go to school, especially to get their MBA, they're not really sure what they want to do. And so I found it really helpful in the classes for strategy, as you mentioned, um, to learn how to research moving forward if this is a great market you know, to work out the financials, pricing and things of that nature. And do you find that um, there was some special, I guess, um, knowledge or attitude that um, hit you in that in that education about, for women particularly, or was it sort of gender neutral? Did it matter? No, I did find a lot of my classmates were women. I, I think there were more women. I don't know, maybe Bruce can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but there were more women in my classes than men. Um, I, I didn't... I, I would have to say that um, I mainly just... I learned networking for sure and... And a lot of the strategies that I learned, you can certainly find it without getting the MBA. You can go online and do the research, but it was great to be able to have like professors to talk to and have business plans and just outline things, have it concrete in front of you mm -hmm. and get help with that. Mm -hmm. I, I can see that. So this um, DVD, you're self-publishing, right? And you're self-selling. So it's yep. a kind of e-commerce 
And there's like 15 of you, right? <laughs> I did self-publish um, the Thigh Gap Hack, and I've written other books under a pen name. So this is my fifth book that I'm working on right now. And I am self-producing a DVD because I just feel like the technology exists for me to just do it myself. It's really not that difficult. You can Anything that you want to learn, you can find online how to do it. That's actually a cogent point because I think that a lot of businesses now, since technology has, has just really cleared the hurdles and lowered the barriers, um, if you're industrious or if you're of a particular mindset. <laughs> if you have a market, they yeah. will find you. Right. For sure. So um, where will you go from here? What is it you think you're going to do? Be, again, the pitch contest had a different um, business, but that's a little bit back burner, right? Yeah. Right now I am working on finishing up the book and doing the DVD. And, and then we'll see. I like to just kind of take things as they go. I definitely keep my other businesses running. And, but we'll see what happens next. I'm not sure. And how come you have no employees? Um, I have independent contractors. <laughs> Is that the way to go? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. How do you vet them? How do you know that they're good? Um, well, I, as, right now, a lot of the, the I, I outsource a lot of the work that I do like online. So, um, you have websites such as like freelancer and V worker that you can find, you know, virtual assistants to help you and, um, it's not really that difficult. You look for references, you look at your portfolio, and get recommendations from your friends. If you have a network, again, of like-minded uh, entrepreneurs around you, you can always ask for references. And that's kind of how I've been doing it so far. So do you have belong to any groups that are supporting your business in, in, in some kind of either women or networking or any kind of um, knowledge or groups? I go to like a lot of meetup groups um, where, you know, for writers and um, a lot of online groups for people who self-publish. And, and so that's kind of my network. And can you speak to some of the mistakes you've made in the past? Let's call them missteps. Let's say any missteps so that you could share with people who are trying to do some of the things you're doing and have done. Missteps. Uh, I would say for sure, just trying to go forward with a product or a company that you haven't necessarily, you may feel strongly about, you know, you think, oh, this is something I would definitely want, but not doing the research to see if this is a need that other people want. Uh, and also... Um, how you're going to target them. I'm not sure. You mean research the market? Yes. Yeah. So you jumped in before doing that? I have. You know, I've, <laughs> one of the books that uh, I wrote, I was like, okay, this is definitely a book that's needed. It's a topic. It's a hot topic. And um, I wrote it. And then, uh, you know, I really had a difficult time targeting, like finding the people marketing to my audience. <laughs> and um, it wasn't really such a hot, to as a, a hot topic that I thought it was. So that was definitely Do you to share with us what that topic was? But that was under a pen name, but um, it was a book targeted towards men. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> so you you kind of dialed down on that idea? Now now we're doing thigh high. I'm assuming that's women, not men. Yeah, yeah. thigh gap was the first one. So yeah. Right. And what was it? Was it a fitness book for men? No. No. It was not. <laughs> You're really curious. Yeah, I you? am. Yeah. <laughs> You're being coy. So are we talking about something that was private? Or? No, it was just a, good, um, a relationship. But. Oh, I see. Well, that, so that would be a little tricky that you could say. So it was advising men about dating, things like that? Something to that nature, yes. Yes. And you didn't feel that that was sort of stepping over the line because you're not a man out there dating, right? No. No. So <laughs> what's, your, what's your next book exactly? 
Um, I'm going to stick to the fitness books. I love doing the research for it. Um, I love writing about it. I love talking about it. And so I think that's going to be the next book. And can you see moving in that direction and losing the other businesses as that? No, no. I, I don't think so. Because the other businesses, like I said, they run themselves and... I guess playing devil's advocate, I have to say, if you're focused on other things at the same time as you're doing one thing, it's got to be draining something, energy, resources, something from the, I mean, might this be growing up more if you focused only on that? Or is it just, that's not what you want to do? I don't. Um, like I said, the other businesses are pretty much, uh, especially like, you know, with Petal Happy, it's seasonal. So for the spring and the summertime, it's a lot of business. And then for fall and winter, it slows down a lot. And so I have a lot of free time to dedicate to other things. Yeah, I lost that stitch. It's really actually very smart. Talk about strategy. I mean, it's ice cream in the summer and then, right. you know, fuel in the winter. And exactly th those businesses really, really, really do help. What advice would you have for young women starting out? I would say to, you know, I think a lot of people, they get stuck. They read lots of books and they go to lots of seminars and they never just get started. And so my advice is just to like start, just like get a page up or do your research, do something. I love like to-do lists. And so I think it makes things more manageable. Um, and I think a lot, a lot of people also put too much weight on like their friends and their family they run a, a business idea by them and if someone isn't as supportive about the idea they might just like doubt themselves and give up on the idea so I think to go outside of your friends and family you know like with the pace pitch competition it was a way of validating our idea you know we came in second place with that idea whereas when we run it by others they were like maybe not so much. I can't really see. People will always have discouraging things to say about your idea. So, uh -huh. so you have to have that. It's not just confidence. It's a kind of, um, it's a kind of willingness and, um, to embrace possible failure. I mean, it seems to me you want to succeed, but you understand that you might go off a cliff and that's a yeah. very hard thing to face. And you seem to have had that from a very early time. I mean, you've been doing this for seven years. So yeah. you think that's, background is just how you're brought up or do you develop a muscle for this you know no one in my business in my family no one is an entrepreneur really yeah which is strange <laughs> so when you go home for the holidays what happens? you know my parents are always like you did it right Camille you know I, th I wish I had done that path because my parents were very much you go to school and I fully support education but you go to school and you get a job and that you have this like very stable life but I always in my mind that seemed very unstable to me you know to rely on someone else and I think that was more so from just reading a lot of books a lot of business books for some reason I had an interest in business books when I was younger and I think that implanted in me this idea that I could do it. So you sold Girl Scout cookies and had a lemonade stand? I did. And all, you know, I yeah. went to the very uh, wealthy neighborhoods to, to sell Girl Scout cookies. Um, Looking for, my for your markets. <laughs> That's right. Not, not shabby. <laughs> right. And that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently your parents supported you. So They are so supportive. And that is another thing that I would say. Find people who are supportive of your dreams and your goals. Do you, do you look for funding at all? And then um, just quickly, and then we're going to move on to, to Bruce. But, uh, but it seems like you're self-funded. You're bootstrapping, really, right? I do. And I, you know, one of the things that I love about like, the service business is that you can do it very, it's lean, you know. And I think that's something that you mentioned. A lot of women go into it because it is lean. And then that has been 
funding my other businesses, you know, allowed me to grow my other companies, starting lean and then going into other areas. You're also working out of your home, so you don't have a lot of overhead, right? Exactly. And the technology. Exactly. And those employees, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to take a break and very shortly come back and talk to Professor Bruce Backenheimer from Pace. Thanks a lot. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power, Power Hour. Hour, at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And its limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hi, this is Joanna Croats at The Woman's Playbook on TalkingAlternative.com. Join us every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. We're talking about the rising she economy and about women entrepreneurs and their growth, their triumphs, and the businesses they run, which is different than the way men run businesses. Every Thursday, 12 to 1 p.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. It will help you start, run, and grow your business. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Hi, it's Joanna Croats. We're back at the Women's Playbook talking about leaning out and women who are starting businesses at all stages of their life um, that will give them purpose, passion, profit. My next guest on this afternoon is Bruce Backenheimer. He's the management professor and director of the Entrepreneurship Lab at Pace University. So he teaches both undergraduate and graduate, which I'm kind of curious about. So how do you go from graduating in entrepreneurship at a different levels. Also, management and strategy, he he's, uh, teaches those as well. He's the founding visionary for Pace's Pitch Contest and Business Plan Competition, which is annual, and it's gained terrific recognition as well as funding for its contestants. So again, he'll have to tell us the total venture capital raised for that and how his pitch contest winners are doing after school as they hit the hurdles of the real-life markets. You can find his contact info and more about the lab at, Pace, at the Pace University website, which is Pace, P-A-C-E dot E-D-U, Pace dot E-D-U, or at his Twitter page, which is at Bruce Back. That's Bruce, B-A-C-H, at Bruce Back. Bruce is also a board member of a number of organizations that have a lot to do with um, municipal and uh, entrepreneurship with uh, public entities like 
the New York chapter of the MIT Enterprise Forum. That's not public, but it is um, um, about youth and lead America. He's been a consultant for, and this is the public part, with Small Business Services and Economic Development Corporation, and also with private uh, startups. So he's been around that pool. Before becoming a professor, Bruce was an executive at a venture capital firm, so he's seen things on both sides of the fence. Please, please give me money. Okay. Mm-hmm. Several banks and, and also has um, helped develop an international technology business. As a Pace graduate himself, in his earlier years, he was awarded the McKinsey and Company Leadership Scholarship to pursue an MBA and then proceeded, like smart young people everywhere, to get out of the home state, and he went to Australia to get that MBA. Not a bad idea. So welcome, Bruce. Thank you. What's it like to be around young people's business ideas every day? And even more pointedly, how can you really teach entrepreneurship? How does that work? Well, I think it's great to be around um, young people. It it keeps me um, young and active, and there's a lot of energy and enthusiasm. So it's something I really love. I'm very passionate about teaching and very fortunate, um, I think, to be able to teach without having a traditional academic background. Um, And... You know, especially in this time where technology is changing so quickly, hyper-competition, globalization, it's just great to see what um, what students are doing, both at the undergraduate and graduate level. And that's my segue. So <laughs> what's the difference? I, I mean, at, 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 what is it, 18, 19 undergraduate, 22, 24 graduate, somewhere in there. What, 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 do you, what is it? Do they have to go through one to get to the next or what? Well, yeah, traditionally, you know, the undergraduate students are, you know, that 18 to 21-year-old to and an MBA student typically somewhere in the, the mid to late 20s. But that's, that's changed. I have a, um, a, a student in my undergraduate class. He just finished. He's older than I am. He announced that he's a grandfather. Um, and I have some very young graduate students who go straight from a um, BBA program or a bachelor's degree. Maybe they do a five-year combined uh, bachelor's and master's BBA, MBA program. So that traditional distinction between the, the two has become, you know, less obvious as you have, you know, adult learners finishing their undergraduate degree and all kinds of people doing a graduate degree. As well. So it's more stage of life is what you're saying. And actually, Camille was in both situations, yeah? You were undergraduate as well as graduate at Pace, is that right? No. Oh, just the graduate. Just graduate okay. at Pace. So I know also the winner of the Pace contest was undergraduate. Here, Camille is as a, as a, as a postgraduate. She was also um, in the winner's circle as number two. So I, I, see what, I see what you're saying. And what happens? Do you keep in touch with, with your contestant winners and your students? How, how do you measure success? I, um, I do keep in touch with them. Um, a past winner actually has a very successful um, company now that I was just asked to join the board of directors. And there's people over the, the 12 years I've been teaching at Pace that I keep in, in very close contact with. They serve as mentors at the uh, entrepreneurship lab, judges at the pitch contest, um, and, and our long-term personal friends. The last issue of Pace magazine actually focused on those faculty um, and student bonds. And, you know, one in particular, they um, uh, profiled me and, and a former student that we've kept in very close contact and worked together. He also started a, uh, a business that uh, you know I've worked with. So we um, you know we definitely uh, do keep in in contact. And well, um, uh, the second part of your question, measuring success at the pitch contest. The reason I started it um, ten years ago 
was to give students that chance to to think and act entrepreneurial, to stand up there, to pitch an idea, to, as Camille said, to to get that validation. But the way I measure success is not how many people got um, you know X dollars of VC funding. A lot of them may not go out and start a business. Several have, and, and have started several very successful businesses. But to me, entrepreneurship, what's most important about it is not starting a business or raising venture capital. It's a mindset, a way of thinking. And and you could see that in, in um, some of Camille's responses. But, you know, that I- ability to recognize an opportunity, you know, and analyze an opportunity and go out and capture it. And whether you're starting your own company or working at a very large company, you have to be able to think and act entrepreneurially to add value. Well, that, that, that gene or that muscle, whichever, we're, is certainly um, infiltrating the, the larger precincts. I, w- I was looking at um, some attitude that IBM was, was endorsing that, that they call intrapreneurship, right, mm-hmm. which is exactly this is what you're talking about. It's an mm-hmm. attitude and a mindset within the larger department store, if you will. It is, and I've, I've been fortunate to do um, some work with IBM. So one of that has been captured in what they call their Corporate Service Corps, or CSC. It's like a Peace Corps within IBM. They... Um, I took a group of students to Tanzania to study social entrepreneurship, and IBM was about to launch that um, program, first going to Tanzania. And one of the projects I had my students do was to keep an online field study journal in the form of a blog. And a lot of the IBM people that were about to go on the trip followed it. And I wound up working with the president of the IBM Foundation and did a program on their corporate service corps and how it is to get employees at IBM to think and act more entrepreneurially. They drop a group of 10 or 12 employees that don't know each other, work in different areas of IBM throughout different parts of the world. Um, you know, Maybe a marketing person in New York, an engineer in Germany, a, a software developer in Japan, and drop them in a place like Tanzania to, to go do a project. Outward bound for business. Outward bound or, or the Peace Corps. Yeah. Um, so in terms of my theme of the day and women and men, you were saying earlier that um, mostly women are attending the entrepreneurship lab and pace. There's a majority of women, and that's been true for a while. And so it, just in terms of the gender divide, can you, can you elaborate on that? Well, at, at Pace University as a whole, right now it's about 60% female, and it's been that way for um, decades. That the majority of the um, student population was female. Even the very first class of PACE in 1906, um, of 13 people, 10 were male, 3 were female, and that's long before women... That's surprising. Right, and uh, that's like a a decade and a half before women had the right to vote and were typically um, in business setting. um, Not to mention, was it 1989, the HHR, what was it, that women finally were allowed to take bank loans in their own name? Mm -hmm. Not until early, I mean, early 90s, unbelievable. So um, at the entrepreneurship lab itself, the it's not a, a majority of, of women. It, it's it's much more balanced than in, in other areas of entrepreneurship or technology entrepreneurship. Um, what was interesting is the pitch contest last year, someone pointed out that all the judges were men, all the finalists were men, what's going do, on? Do, 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 do. But this year... It was um, the the majority, three of the four judges were female, and the majority of the contestants were female, and the majority of the winners were female. So it was a great change. So you think that, well, what do you attribute that to? Just flat out, just, I don't know, opportunity or just the name of the game is changes every year and no particular reason? No, there's changes just like different wine vintages. But yeah. um, 
No, I think last year was an exception that it was so much male, and and this year is back more towards um, more towards normal, which would be uh, closer to fifty fifty. Well, without putting, you know, I mean, these are not um, really accusations in any way. I'm just really trying to explore what happens when women start businesses of their own and if there are differences. Certainly there are cultural differences. There are now some physiological research that says men and women approach a lot of decisions in a very different way because of hormones, because of male. The brain is different, all this structure. You're probably up on all this, right? Maybe not. But um, what do you see as the differences in the men and women in your classes? There, you know, there are a lot of um, differences, and I, I think um, there are some hard uh, wire differences. Um, I know I people that say. have, you know, um, uh, both a, a male child and a female child. I have a, my only child's a daughter, but you know that they talk about they're just wired differently. So I think that there's those differences, but why not use that, you know, to be an advantage? I think too many of the perceived differences are just that things that, you know, we've placed on women, you know, the idea of being assertive or bossy is, you know, like the other B word. And I think that a good way to change that is just starting early. Um, a project I was involved in was with the Girl Scouts where they wanted to do an entrepreneurial project over the course of a year. And I think it's, it's really important to instill those values early. So in a generation, it could change. It's not going to change because of a, a lily bed letter law or, you know, some other political legal change, but a mindset. We have actually seen a lot of talk about that in the past, and um, I, I certainly agree with you, but, you know, this reviving Ophelia idea that at age 13, girls lose their voice, so they're perfectly okay, they're perfectly assertive before the idea of sexual roles and gender roles kick in. So certainly it's going to help if um, girls are out there doing entrepreneurial quote, entrepreneurial things, which is just being themselves. But then there's the that cultural kind of blanket that sits on them at age 13. Mm. Do you think that's still happening, or is it just dissipating, or it's slowly going to erode? No, I, I, I think it, it is changing. And, um, you know, I, I think part of it is, you know, societal part of it is, the girls part of it is, you know, perception. Um, but that idea early on, you know, it's an interesting fact. Bill Gates, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, they all have one thing in common. They all went to the same school, Montessori. It was that early... As a kid, that's interesting. As a child. Yeah. And that has an impact. And I think, you know, if girls are, are uh, made to think differently at six, seven, eight, nine years old, they'll carry that through and they won't put up with stereotypes uh, 12 and 13. Or if they get sent to Montessori. <laughs> We're going to take a break and be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. 
If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. It's Joanna Croats. We're at the Women's Playbook talking about men and women and entrepreneurship and uh, who's got the better gene or personality. I and mean, I shouldn't say better, actually, but what the differences are. Bruce Backenheimer's here to tell us a bit about PACE and the entrepreneurship lab there. I wonder um, if you'd just say a little bit about the rise of entrepreneurship generally. We touched on it a bit in terms of how IBM, I mean, everyone wants an entrepreneur, whether you're on staff, whether you're a CEO, whether you're, so ha- is it because the economy has become so crazy that you only, and flattened, so you only want people who know how to make decisions, you don't want to grow them up as much? Or is it because technology now means you don't have mentors anymore, you have to just hit the ground running? What, what do you ascribe it to? I think the um, the biggest thing is perception, a perception of desirability. What is desirable? You know, a generation or so ago, the perception of desirability was to get a f- job with a big Fortune 500 company. And not only that, but in, in Manhattan, you know, if you're working for Citibank up in, you know, a, a suburb versus in Manhattan. So there was a very different perception of what was successful or desirable. Now, there's not that perception that working for that big company is the be all end all. You heard Camille say that I don't need a boss. I mean, I'm, I'm more dependent. I don't if, think she'd do well with the boss. <laughs> but, but the idea that if you um, are running your own company or more in control of your, your destiny. So I think one is a big change in perception that started slowly in the mid 70s with Bill Gates and Steve Jobs founding, you know, Microsoft and Apple. But it really took hold you know, during the dot-com boom where people were leaving McKinsey and Goldman Sachs to start companies. And then you have heroes, you know, a Zuckerberg or a um, Steve Jobs. And the other thing is, you know, even after 9-11, life is short. What am I doing? And also when children see their parents, or in that case, their father, laid off from a company that they dedicated to life to, like, why do I need to work for this big Fortune 500 company? Let me take care, you know, of myself. Let me control my destiny and it's now seen as something that is, is desirable. So a combination of money and purpose, really, as it comes down to you can make a fortune maybe if you become the Zuckerberg, the one in a million, or also because you get more satisfaction? It's satisfaction. It's not the money. If you look at, at uh, successful entrepreneurs, Mark Zuckerberg included, mm-hmm. um, his dad was my dentist, and that, the, the, the dental <laughs> practice see. was in their home, so I saw him. Growing up, he was never motivated by money. He developed a, an app that you know he was offered a million dollars for. He put it up for free, a music sharing app. 
Um, you know, he lived in a rented apartment. He drove the same car. His father continued to practice dentistry. It was never about money. Same with um, Steve Jobs. He lived in the same house yeah, as he, where he started. He's more clear-cut, but yeah. Mo- most entrepreneurs, it's, it's because of the passion. Money might be a way to keep score, but it's not about getting rich. It's about pursuing your passion, making a difference, and a need to achieve something. So one of the things that I've um, uncovered in looking at entrepreneurship with a gender lens is that women tend to have different measurements of success. You just said the money is not important, but it's a way to measure. And it seems to me men do measure success in, in building a company by revenue or by profit, by money. Is that true as true for women? What do, or have you found that they have different measurements as I have? No, it, you know, and I think that that's a big mistake because too often we st- – Think about not what's important to us or what would make us happy, but what society says would make us happy. Mm-hmm. Having a white pick of getting a job with such and such a company, even if you're not motivated by that. And, you know, I think one thing women started to look at, well, I want a work-life balance or I want to be able to raise my children. So that's why I'm doing that. And if they keep that in mind, that if they're true to their passion and they're not swayed by, oh, in order to be successful, you need a Madison Avenue office, you need a, a blue chip client, you need, etc. And And as Camille said, she's happy to, to work out of her house, to delegate jobs to other things. Um, but when you get too caught up in what someone else defines as successful, then you're going to lose track of of why you you should be an entrepreneur or your original passion in the first place. So this was a show we did a while back about what I call the Goldilocks syndrome that has to do with lifestyle choices that women make and measuring success by having that as a balance in their lives. You see that happening with younger women? No, I um I I, I do think that um, younger women and men are reevaluating that what it means to be successful and changing their ideas you know of what is is really important i think that's just a natural progression of society you know over generations you know it used to be if you weren't you know if you're able to you know feed yourself and um you know have a have a steady job that was considered successful then you know a more important job now it's a, a fulfilling job and i think when you're looking for that fulfillment it's easier to find it in something you do yourself, or even if you are within a company, you know, in order to do great work, you have to be passionate about what you do. And that's the same if you're working at IBM, GM, as accountant, any profession. Sure. Well, shifting gears just a bit. So how do you know a good idea when you see it? Well, that's an area that um, Pesa, when Camille talked about going to school and learning, and you asked about finances and all you know, there, there's three parts, the ability to recognize an opportunity, to analyze it, and to go out and capture it, to build a business around it. Um, you know, I think what's important, and, and another thing Camille alluded to, is this whole idea of the lean startup. How do you know it's a good idea? Get it out there and see if somebody will open their wallet and pay for it. So, you know, create the minimal viable product and put it out there and get market validation one way or the other, because too often it's all about, you know, planning and, and all those other things. So there's this whole lean startup movement or ultralight startup. And I think it's it's really important. Just get something out there, get reaction, adjust it, pivot, and, um, 
you know, and go from there. And what kind of businesses are getting funding nowadays or, or, or that, that market validation that you mentioned? Well, market validation and funding is very different. I think yeah, a, best, a really good way to validate the market and get funding is some of these crowdsourcing models. If you go on Kickstarter, if people want to give you money because they want your product, what validation is better than that? I'm going to give you money ahead of time, and then you're getting the funding as well. I think too much of you know, tr- uh, venture capital uh, type of funding is – you know, it's still a, a herd mentality, a lemming, what's popular. I've seen some incredible ideas, but they weren't sexy or fashionable and don't get funded. And I have other people, students, that I see VCs chasing them because their, you know, ideas is hot and popular. So, you know, I think the important thing is get it in the hands of people that love it, that are willing to pay for it. You show those customers, you'll get the funding. You know, Michael Bloomberg said something about, you know, it's uh, talent attracts money better than money attracts talent. If you have the talent, you've demonstrated it, you've validated your market, you show you have customers that will not give up your product, you'll get the funding. And what makes a good pitch? What makes a good pitch is that you have the passion. That comes through your passion, your confidence. It has to be clear and convincing, but it has to be easy to understand. It doesn't have to be a simple concept, but it has to be explained simply. I think Albert Einstein's the one who said, like, you know, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough yourself. So simple and passionate. What if I have a great idea? Why should I go to school? If you're telling me to jump in and just get it out there, then then what's the schooling for exactly? What is what am I going to gain? Why don't I just, you know, throw it up against the wall? If it works, it works. You could do that, but in order, there are some skills, but also school is a great way to to build networks, to establish connections, to, I mean, at Pace, one of the courses we have is entrepreneurial implementation. Students are implementing ideas in the course. Um, they're building networks. They're making connections. They're going to events. I, I, as you said, I'm on the board of the MIT Enterprise Forum. I often bring my students to MIT Enterprise Forum events so they could see them and they're learning important hard skills you know we talk about t-shaped skills you need to have a breadth across the horizon of a lot of different skills but also a depth in a in a certain area um well thanks um just to kind of uh wrap up unless someone wants to jump in i believe this trend of young women who are leaning out to launch rather than leaning in to work inside the corporate compound i believe it's expanding this month This month's issue of Glamour, for instance, which is the June 2014 issue, is the second annual award that they're giving to Be Your Own Boss, which they call Glam Starters for Women. And they have judges who are anointing young women as trailblazers for launching a business. Angel investors, who, of course, are wealthy individuals who seed startups with money that kind of bridges between bootstrapping and institutional capital. Angel investors are also, I'll bet, slowly recognizing women as well. About 20% of women entrepreneurs who sought angel funding last year actually secured their money, according to the Bastion for Angel Funding, which is Center for Venture Research at the University of New Hampshire. Although, and this is why my next show on June 12 is all about the ask, less than a quarter of all entrepreneurs sought angel funding in 2013. So tune in next week for the ask. Thanks so much to Camille Hugh for being our serial person and entrepreneur for the day and Bruce Backenheimer for giving us the context for entrepreneurship. And this is the Women's Playbook. And don't forget Camille's download DVD. Don't don't forget her thigh high thigh, thigh gap high. I got it <laughs> slowly. And um, the entrepreneurship programs. Thanks a lot. This is the Women's Playbook.
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power, Power Hour. At 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And it's limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. TalkingAlternative.com 